Let me invite you this morning to find your sermon notes. It looks like this. You can follow along as we go. But probably more important to look at the column next to it, talk about it, to think about it, to discuss what you have heard, and then, of course, to live out the message throughout the week. So we're going to do a little pretend this morning, a little audience participation with all of you. So let's pretend that this is the new year. Can you do that? Pretend this is the new year. All right, we're all there. And let's pretend also that each one of you, whether you really do this or not, you have made a resolution this year to get in better shape. All right, can you, can you identify with that? Can you, can you relate to that? So you're going to lose some weight, you're going to get exercise, you're going to, to shape your body, you're going to be healthier. All right, everybody with me? Okay, now let's pretend that I am the instructor. I know this takes a lot of pretending at the fitness center because you can't envision that. I get it. So pretend I am the instructor. And I have two objects this morning for show and tell. All right? We have an apple and we have a Hershey's milk chocolate candy bar. So first of all, tell me what are the attributes of this Apple. Anybody? Is it good? Yes. It's sweet? Is it healthy? Yes. About 52 calories in this particular apple, 86% water in this apple, high in vitamin C, good thing to eat. Are you all tracking? All agree? You're there? All right. Item B. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Tastes awesome. Love chocolate. But as I look at the label, it tells me that there are well over 230 calories here in this chocolate bar. It is high in fat content, and it has a lot of added sugar. And so as the instructor, I would tell you that this is not the best choice. And not only is this much more healthy, it is far less expensive. And I might tell you that this candy bar cost well over $2. And then, whoever it was before that said that would be really, really good, you would probably also say, I'll give you three, right? Because that is our nature, isn't it? And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Human nature and how we as people ruined the perfection of the Garden of Eden, how we have corrupted everything around us because of our poor choices and how we fell into sin. Now, throughout these next seven weeks, we're going to go through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and everything in between, and throughout, you are going to see a similar theme, no matter what part of the Bible that you read. And it all begins with this. God created the heavens and the earth, He made it perfect each day of creation. He looked at all that he had made and he said, what? It is good. And then on the sixth day when he had created human beings, he looked and behold, he said, it is very good. And then after he had put Adam and Eve in the garden, he said, you can eat from anything whatsoever, any of the plant life, any of the fruits, any of the vegetables, anything at all, except... For the one tree 
in the center of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so, as our story goes, one day Eve is kind of strolling through the garden looking for lunch. She's just going along and she sees this fruit. Now, it might not have been an apple, but you can imagine in your mind a beautiful, red, delicious apple. And she sees that it is good for food, pleasing to the eye. And then this little serpent comes crawling around, and it says to her that if you eat from this fruit, you'll be just like God, just like him. And you'll know know the difference between good and evil. It's good for wisdom. And so she thinks in her mind, God's been holding out. I mean, he made everything. He said we could eat from everything except this one thing. This must be the best thing of all. And so she decides to take a bite. And sin comes into the world. This breach between God and human beings, this lack of trust between people and God. And to compound the problem, here comes Adam. He says, honey, what's for lunch? And she says, we're going to have this apple. She gives it to him, and he eats it as well. Now, if you put the scripture up there, let's take a look, and let's just take a poll. How many of you want to blame Eve for sin coming into the world? Raise your hand. Several of you do. Now, how many of you want to blame Adam? Several of you. Now, okay, here's Adam. God had told him even before he had made Eve from the rib. He said, eat from anything except this one tree because as soon as you do, you will surely die. Okay, guys, here's your wife. You've told her the story. Don't eat from the tree. Don't eat from the tree. Don't eat from the tree. And then she does. And you notice something. She did not immediately die, did she? At least not physically. And so you think to yourself, that must be really good stuff. Give me some of that. Even though God said, don't eat from it. Because God must be holding out. I can't trust him. The serpent must be right. I'm going to be just like God if I eat from it. What kind of a man are you anyway? You're not protecting your wife. You're not looking out for your wife. That is not an act of love. And come on, man. I mean, whoever listens to a talking snake anyway? And so you eat as well. And then, being the husband that you are, you immediately blame your wife, don't you? God says, after they're hiding, why are you hiding? Well, we're naked. Well, how do you know you're naked? Well, the serpent told us, and you know, this whole thing. Well, how how did that happen? Well, this woman that you gave me, this woman that you gave me, it's all her fault. If you had just not created her, everything would have been fine. Actually, he's blaming God, isn't he? God, it's all your fault. So who do you want to blame? Eve? Adam? Oh, it's just a serpent's fault anyway, isn't it? I mean, he's the one who started all the trouble. Anybody want to blame the devil? 
We do that a lot, don't we, when we get into trouble? Why did you do the thing that you knew that you weren't supposed to do? The devil made me do it. We like to blame him a lot. Especially my generation. Now, those of you who are kids, you're going to have to Google this. How many of you remember Flip Wilson? Anybody? Yeah. Right? And Geraldine, the whole routine. Right? So, Geraldine's husband is talking to her about this dress that she had bought. So we had discussed this. You weren't going to spend any more money. Why did you go out and buy the dress? The answer, everybody, the devil, what? Made me do it. The devil made me do it. It's not my fault. The devil made me do it. Well, what's the answer? What did Jesus say when he was tempted? Get thee behind me, Satan, right? Get behind me, Satan. That's the answer. That's how you resist temptation. Did you say that? Well, I did. I said, get thee behind my get thee behind me, Satan. But when he did, he said it looks just as good from the back as it does from the front, right? You say, that is a terrible joke, everybody. That's a terrible joke. But it's worse theology. Who's to blame? Adam? Eve? The devil? God? We are quick to blame everyone else and not take responsibility for our own sin. How many of you, when you go to the store, maybe you're looking for a new dress, a new suit, or maybe, let's up it a little bit, you go to buy an automobile, maybe it's a pickup truck. What is the first thing that almost everybody does when they find something that they like? What is it? You check the price tag. How much is it going to cost? Now, if you like it, even if you love it, if the price is too high, you say, no. Can you imagine how everything would have been different if, if Eve had seen the fruit? Instead of being red and juicy, it was filled with worms, and it was diseased, and it was rotten, and it was... Death warmed over. If she could see the consequences of her action from the very beginning, how would our lives be different if we would actually count the cost of sin before we make our choices? How many young people would get involved with drugs and alcohol if they truly could see and believe how it could end up. How many spouses would cheat on their husband or wife if they could see the heartache and the pain and the disappointment that it's going to cause? How many people would lie if they truly saw how it would ruin their reputation? How many would steal if they could see the years in prison that it would cost them? There are consequences of sin, and we have no one to blame other than ourselves. As we look at these consequences, and I have them listed here in your notes, we see that, that sin not only affects us, but everything around us. First, there is this loss of innocence and intimacy. There is this loss in relationship. There is this estrangement, not only with God, but also with 
people. Remember, Adam and Eve are in the garden and they're hiding from God. You think God's going to find them? Of course he does. And he asks them why they're hiding. And they say, well, it's because we're, we're naked. Well, who told you? You've been naked the whole time. But now the guilt, the shame covers them. Loss of innocence. Once we know evil, there's no going back to the previous state. As you look through the entire book of Genesis, we see the conflict between human beings continue to grow. Husband and wife, brothers, neighbors. You remember right after this, Cain and Abel? How'd they get along, anybody? Cain and Abel? Not so good. Cain kills Abel. How about Isaac and Ishmael? How'd that one go? Not so well. Jacob and Esau? Not too good. How about Joseph and all of his 11 brothers? It was a disaster. They sell them into slavery. The consequence of sin is this broken relationship with all of those that God had intended for us to be unified with and close to. And as you go down the list, you can see for each one, Eve, the punishment, pain and childbearing. You're going to have to answer to your husband. Adam, the ground is going to be cursed. Have you ever noticed that? Adam's not cursed, but the ground is. Everything around us is affected by our sin. And so we have earthquakes, and we have floods, and we have fires, we have natural disasters, so-called acts of God that were never intended to harm anything. But here they are, even mosquitoes, I am convinced. And so the ground is cursed. Adam's going to have to work. Everyone's going to have to work. Work was intended as a blessing, as a gift. And now it's a pain for so many of us. And the serpent, we don't know for sure exactly what the serpent was, whether it crawled or not. But now, as an example, to show that the snake has been humiliated and defeated, it's going to be lower, eating the dust, crawling through the dirt. To show that God has conquered the old evil foe. And then finally there is death. Not only are Adam and Eve expelled from the garden with the angels there with the flaming sword so they can never get back into paradise on their own. Never will there be perfection here on this earth. And yet through all of this, through Eve's pain, through Adam's pain, through the message to the serpent, even in the expulsion from the garden, there is hope. You see, God placed the angel at the gate, certainly out of judgment, so Adam and Eve cannot enter paradise ever again. But it's also out of grace. You see, there's another tree there in the center of the garden. Besides the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there is the tree of life. 
And if anyone ever eats from that, they will live forever. That's that immortality. And so what happens if Adam and Eve re-enter the garden and they eat of the tree of life in their current state, which is filled with sin, which is separated from God, which is estranged from each other? That is how they would have to spend eternity. And so God says, no, I have a better plan. And we see it immediately in the very beginning of the Bible. He says the offspring of Eve, which we know as Jesus, is one day going to crush all evil, defeat the devil, and he is going to bring the original plan back to fruition. Even in the so-called punishment, there is grace. Pain in childbirth, to be sure, but childbirth... (laughs) Continuing life to have more relationships with children and with each other. And certainly work and toil in the ground, but also life and things to eat in a way to sustain humanity. And so we've begun this whole journey through the Bible. In the beginning, whether you blame Adam or Eve or the devil or even tempted at times to blame God, know that each one of us is responsible for our sin and its consequences. And yet through all of this, we see that even as we continue to make poor choices, God has always had a plan. And even in the midst of our sin, even in the midst of our poor choices, there is redemption. Because there is a second garden, Gethsemane, where Jesus goes alone to pray. And as, as Adam and Eve had once said, not your will, God, but mine be done. Jesus kneels and prays, not my will be done, but yours. He submits to the Father and to his plan. And the next day goes to the cross in our place to pay the penalty of our sin, to reverse the curse that God had put on people so many generations before. And you know, one day we're going to see a third garden. We'll see it at the very end of our series in the book of Revelation. Once again, we see the tree of life being watered by the streams in paradise where God has restored his original plan. And there we see all the fruits of the earth, every good thing, without exception, will be available to us, all because one man followed the will of God, resisted the temptation of the devil, made the choice, not for himself, but he became sin for all people, so that ours is washed away. And so, my friends, go out this week 
make good choices, be the light of the world, show the love of God to those who are around you. But when you mess up, and you will, know that God loves you so much that he has erased your sin. He's given you the gift of new life through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's all rise. Let's make profession.